but hey nerds <laughs> uh long time no see how's it doing how, how are you going how, how's the wife and um it's hot as balls in here <laughs> hanging curtains and and whatnot to uh Try to trap the cold in from the AC, turned it off to record, like you do. Anyway, that's all I've got to say. Um, I have one thing, one thing that I would like to talk about, and I noticed, looking at the analytics of my previous episode, uh, especially on YouTube, where I got a lot of engagement for me, I think over 500 views, technically, but almost no one watched more than a few minutes of it. And so I was looking through the analytics and it shows you what videos your video is suggested alongside. Like if someone's watching this or this video, then on the side where it suggests the next video for them to watch, you're up there. And I do not like the videos that I was suggested alongside. One of them, one of the most, one of the ones that led to the most clicks, in fact, was anti-LGBTQ. And I would like, this is one of the first times I'm recording with any light, so any video viewers might see a flag behind me. And uh, basically, if you don't like gay people or queer folk, then you don't like me and I don't like you. So as a disclaimer, you're not gonna like my content, I'm not gonna want you watching my content, best to just nip it in the bud and go do something else, you know? Don't waste both of our time. So if you're that kind of person, you're not my kind of person, uh, throwing that out there. So on top of that, I was thinking if I have anybody, I don't know, if you guys want to share my, my videos around to people who don't suck so that more people who don't suck will click on me and then YouTube can learn using its weird-ass algorithm that those are not the type of people to suggest me to, I bet that that would be incredibly helpful. <laughs> anyway, um, wanted to get that out of the way. Mm, I might have to record this at two separate times, so I apologize in advance for any continuity errors, such as my level of energy, um, or what shirt I'm wearing or what a, whatever may come. So, putting that out there in the first place. Just so you don't get confused, jarred, nay, uh, terrified, should anything <laughs> suddenly change partway through this video. I'm not likely to be able to record a whole lot this first go, but I'm doing a time management thing, and it is the best thing to do to make sure this gets uploaded on Thursday when I want it to be uploaded. Well, technically it'll probably be like er, super early Friday morning. I always end up uploading at like 2 a.m. on Thursdays just because of my sleep schedule. But I think that's all the business. The, the business. Uh, I feel like I had something funny or interesting to say or a question. Oh yeah, I have more business. I lied. There's more to it. There's always more business. You just gotta push harder. Um, toilet humor. I'm talking about poop. People refer to 
to poop as, as going doing business. You gotta go to the office. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> uh, my plan here is I want to upload a video and, you know, podcast, audio form too, every other Thursday, or like I said, super early Friday morning. And then on the off weeks, I want to try to do live videos, or I could go live and y'all can talk at me and ask questions and stuff, where I review, critique, and, um, I don't know, add more information to and corrections to my old podcasts, like my original audio only ones, the episodes, because I don't know how else to get those ones into video form for YouTube. And also I've learned a lot since then. And I really just like making fun of myself and it'll give me some content to put out on the off weeks when I haven't uploaded an official video. So if people want more, uh, a more frequent me, that would be the way to go. And I won't be able to do it every other Thursday, but I can do it like most often. It'll be exciting. I'll try to keep people updated about when I will and won't. I tried to last Thursday and it went very, very poorly for me. I didn't know that you had to ask YouTube uh, 24 hours in advance before you go live. So that threw me off and then I tried to go on Twitch and then I couldn't figure out my microphone. And so I got frustrated. I, it, I mean, it was kind of fun. I think I only had like two viewers, but yeah. I mean, that was an idea, but since I got all frustrated and my mic was being jank, I just deleted the video. I was going to download it and upload it to YouTube, but yeah, that didn't, <clears throat> that did not go as planned. Uh, now I know better though, and I can do better, and I intend to, to do better. So there we go. That's the end of business. Now I would like to get into... Uh, an urban legend for you guys. Okay, so usually urban legends make me kind of roll my eyes. I don't know how to roll my eyes. Did I do it? I don't know. I'm not going to spend forever trying to roll my freaking eyes at you. <laughs> Urban legends make me kind of roll my eyes and be like, okay, honey, sure, haha. Ha. And at best, they make me wonder what social or psychological basis led to those stories. My dog is making a bunch of noise in the background. Pay no mind to any clickety clacketing of his collar. There are some credible sources uh, for this one, however, the one I'm yammering on about, if you will. And uh, it. That kind of skeeves me out. That freaks me out a little bit. I think it's a really interesting, a really good story to talk about because not only is it kind of fucking creepy, but there are credible sources. There are actual newspaper clippings and stuff like that that complicate the story. <laughs> so, and there's uh, even been respectable historians that have studied and written about it, one of whom I will borrow a great deal from, and I'll leave a link to their website or the article that they uploaded or whatever so you can find their source material and everything as well at the end uh, so there are variable uh, there are verifiable <laughs> sightings and interactions with this entity as well as some historical events that could provide not an explanation by any means it's a fucking mystery to me if I'm being quite frank 
I don't know who Frank is. Fuck. But some validity to it. And yeah, we'll go with validity. Not proof or whatever. This is a fucked ass story about the bunny man and the bunny man bridge. The tale of the bunny man bridge is essentially a campfire ghost story generally shared around by teenagers wanting to spook each other out uh, around Halloween time. The legend originated in Fairfax County, Virginia, but it's spread all over the country, like a something something that spreads and is sticky. Like warm honey. It not actually. It, it's not really it's not like honey at all. Warm honey is good and not terrifying. I don't need to make up a simile for you. You know what I mean. It spread everywhere. It's all it's all over the country, but predominantly the East Coast. The name of the bridge is actually Colchester Overpass, which was built around 1906 near a railroad station. But because of the legend, it has now been named the Bunnyman Bridge. As the story goes, it is said that after the Civil War in 1904, more and more people settled in the area of Fairfax, Virginia, turning it into a bigger city very quickly. As you know, the more people you have in one area, the more different types of people there are going to be. You'll have more artists, you'll have more book nerds, you'll have more wooks wandering around trying to sell you ketamine, and you'll have more fucking crazy people. Hey, maybe the wook the wook statement was a little redundant there. <laughs> anyway, it, with more crazy people, in air quotes, they needed to build an institution for the criminally insane. Or an insane asylum. Now, mind you, mind you, when I think about places like this, especially in the olden days, I have to keep in mind that they would lock people up for being crazy just because they were unlikable for some reason or another. Like, a lady likes to read? Insane. Lock her up. Some dude just doesn't like talking very much and finally yells at people to quit trying to interact with him at the store? Insane. Lock him up. Someone likes to put on a dog suit and run around on all fours barking at passersby? Madman. Lock him up. We all know that all of these things are perfectly normal and we all do them. But back then, it made you crazy. Anyway, thinking about how many people have been locked up in this usually horrific type of place kind of makes me sad. Like, no fucking wonder they're all haunted as shit, right? Anyway, the rest of the town was uncomfortable living in such close proximity to a madness hive. Having a huge loony bin right there freaked them out and they all pushed to have the facility shut down. They succeeded eventually, and while the place was closing its doors, they began transporting the patients to other asylums in the area. Allegedly, during one of these transfers, a group of patients escaped and ran off into the woods. After a while, most of the escaped patients were found and brought back into custody, but two motherfuckers were still on the loose. These two little scamps were Douglas J. Griffin, and the other was named Marcus Walster. As the police continued to search the forest for these two over the following week or so, they began to find strange things in the area. Most notably, they found the carcasses of rabbits everywhere, just strewn about on the ground. This kept them looking in the same vicinity, because it appeared that the escapees were trapping and eating rabbits for sustenance. Makes sense to me, you know? 
Later on, however, they began to find rabbits not eaten, but mutilated and strung up in the trees. Initially, something like this is shocking, because why, if you're living in the woods with nothing but your weird jumpsuit, would you waste your primary food source? Then again, these guys were criminally insane, right? So now, the cops were getting a little worried about the madman running through the woods, or madmen, if you will. Uh, failing to quench their lust for blood. <laughs> These mutilations made Douglas and Marcus more than just escapees, scared to be locked up again, but a very real fucking threat. What would happen when they realized that the bunnies weren't satisfying enough to kill and eviscerate, and then they realized they could creep into the neighboring town and try a more interesting hunt with the civilians there? And so, the search for these two intensified as they realized how dangerous they truly were, like the townspeople realized, until one day they followed another trail of half-eaten rabbits to Colchester Overpass, which was a footpath that ran underneath a rail bridge. When they got to the bridge, they saw the corpse of Marcus dangling from the bridge suspended with a rope, his guts all torn up, and I imagine dangling themselves. <clears throat> so. He was dangling, and although he was a dangler, he had another additional dangler dangling from him, his guts. So it's dangle upon dangle. Is that dangle times two, or is it dangle squared? I think it's dangle squared. Marcus got all dangle squared off the f fucking bridge, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I hate dangling. <laughs> Attached to Marcus was a handwritten note that said, you will never catch me, no matter how hard you try. And it was signed, The Bunny Man. Sometimes, the story of Douglas, the Bunny Man, wraps up, kind of, uh, with the police locating him and chasing him through the woods and back to the bridge where he trips over the track and is moited by the freight train that came back, or came rolling by at that very specific time. The officers in the alleged story claim that they heard him laughing as the train struck him, and even afterward. I should do evil laughs for money. Pay me to do evil laughs for you. Other versions of the story, however, say that Douglas evaded capture until eventually the search was put to a stop. He spent a decade lurking through the forest, gutting rabbits, I guess, until Halloween night, ten years later. A group of teenagers were hanging out, being hood rats at the bridge, doing hood rat shit. And the group of teeny boppers were attacked and brutally murdered. Their bodies found the following morning, hanging from the bridge, gutted, just like Marcus. So that is the most common most recognized origin story for this entity. That's, that's the horror story. But there are more versions of it, more, more stories that tell how the bunny man became the bunny man and what, why that whole thing came to be. More, more different stories, okay? Most of them are about the same, but I did find one somewhere in one place on the internet that is different and I kind of like better and I'll I'll explain why at the end I, I have a whole I have a whole plan for how I present this information so hang tight the other story I will refer to as the hunter story 
This other story, uh, which is told to explain the origins of the Bunny Man, uh, takes place in the 1800s. At this time, the Civil War was raging, and the little town of Clifton, Virginia was still little more than a village. Generally, everyone in the area still largely provided for their families by hunting, which is exactly what our protagonist? I'm going to call him our protagonist for the sake of the tale. Uh, he's the main guy. This is what he sets off to do early one morning. He had himself a lovely wife and a few young kids, and them little shits needed some deer for their gullets, so he kissed them all goodbye for the day and went off into the woods. When he returned that evening, however, he came into their home to see a fucking nightmare. His wife and children had been brutally murdered, their bodies mutilated and strewn through the little house. The hunter goes to the local sheriff for help, but they could find nothing to tell them who the sick fuck was, or where he went, or what he wanted. They couldn't come up with any motive for it. They had no enemies, nothing was stolen. There was just nothing to go off of to really investigate the killings. And with no one else to point the finger at, everyone thinks that he was the one who killed his family. And as you know, if you listen to a lot of true crime stories, it's always the husband. <laughs> it's just always the husband. Sometimes it's not, but usually it's the husband. <laughs> this is one of those rare cases in which it was not the husband, though. He was arrested for it anyway. The mental anguish from the tragic murder of his family with the additional fuck shit of going to prison for it, falsely accused, broke this guy's brain. He went total batshit and was sent to a mental institution. He vowed to eventually escape and get vengeance for his family. Not long after he was placed in the asylum, he did indeed escape. Everyone was on the lookout for him around the town, so he had to hide out in the woods. This is where he found shelter under Colchester Overpass. Much like the story of Douglas and Marcus first assumed, the hunter resorted to hunting and eating rabbits for food. He would trap them, eat them, and use their skins to make himself clothing. This led the locals to finding tons of rabbit carcasses all over the woods, sometimes hanging them from uh, hanging from branches of trees, which, I mean, you gotta drain them, right? If you kill an animal for hunting purposes, you're gonna eat them and skin them. You gotta drain all the blood out before you, you know. So that makes sense in, in this story, makes sense why they'd be hanging from trees, at least. Um, but this is what led the townspeople to give him the nickname, The Bunny Man. The story of the crazy bunny man living in the woods spread around the little town and eventually kids started to get curious. They would get together and go out into the woods to try to spot the local weirdo, like you do. Aha! <laughs> Anyway, I have resumed, took a week-long break because I didn't have time to record all the day that I tried to record, and let's hope that I don't get too confused about where I am and what I'm on about. <laughs> but yeah, different, different legs, and for anyone watching with their eyeballs, my hair is doing this amazing thing right now. It's like, it's like a horn, got a fluffy red horn, and up off the left. I swear to fuck, if that rumbling in my stomach is me having to go take a shit, I just, 
after a week, finally sit down, I'm ready to record. I get one minute into it and my tummy's like, nope, bitch, gotta go to the bathroom. I think not, I'll not be, oh, oh, so where was I? So I was talking about, I was in the middle of the origin story of the bunny man, uh, where it was potentially a huntsman way back in the day. And I was talking about how all the kids in the town got all riled up and they wanted to go sneak out and see the bunny man. All right, I know where I'm at. So they would go out together into the woods and try to spot the, to try to spot the bunny man because he was weird and that was interesting to them. Which reminds me of when I was young. My uncle had a cabin on a lake that we would go to at least a couple times every summer while I was growing up. And the kids around the community always talked about a witch that supposedly lived in one of the cabins there. And she would eat kids and put the children in her stew. You know, because that's what witches do, as we all know. (laughs) And uh, she lived in a little A-framed cabin with a bunch of moss on the top. And I don't know who the fuck told me that story, because I never talked to any other kids there aside from my cousins. Uh, One of my cousins might have made it up or heard it from another kid, maybe. Either way, I found that little cabin and I was fully convinced that there was a witch in there doing spooky witch shit. And I'd go up and I'd stare at the house trying to get a peek at her with my eyeballs. And (laughs) I imagine in this case... The kids of the town had the exact same response I did with the cabin witch. They're like, oh really? Something weird and terrifying? I'm gonna go look at it. Because children have no sense of self-preservation at all. <laughs> I certainly didn't, and none of the kids that I have ever known... Okay, I know some kids with a little bit of a sense of self-preservation. But it's uncommon among children I've known throughout my life. Especially since adulthood. And I have a sense of self-preservation now, and I can see the lack thereof in their actions. That's why you gotta watch them. Because I would get... I got stuck in the mud of a ditch. Quite a ways away from my home. Who knows how long I would have been in there. If I were a lesser man. <laughs> I do think it's important for kids to play in the mud. But maybe, like... You keep an eye on them so they don't get sucked in like that horse from uh, Never Ending Story. Yeah. Let's not let our children go the way of the horse. <laughs> Out of context, the phrase, let's not let our children go the way of the horse, like that, and I will use that out of context in the future. Anyone I talk to better forget that immediately, otherwise, it won't be as funny. Anyway. Well, these kids in the town, (coughs) who kept sneaking out trying to find the bunny man, started to disappear. After a handful of little rascals failed to come home, the sheriff was prompted to go out and figure out what was happening. Although he already feared the worst, considering uh, there was a crazy guy convicted of grisly murders out there in the woods, uh, like you'd be silly not to think something terrible had probably happened. He was still shocked by what he found when he came upon Colchester Overpass. I imagine the smell had to have let him know he wasn't going to like it when he saw it, you know? Because you're going to 
smell stuff, certain types of things sometimes before you see them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but then he did see it, and it was the bodies of several children hanging from trees and parts of the bridge, all of them mutilated to an inhuman degree. As he approached, the sheriff heard a blood-curdling laughter from the train tracks up above. He looked up and saw a gnarled, haggard figure standing on top of the bridge, draped in a mismatched skin rabbits, hackling while staring right at him. At this very moment, a train sped by, straight wrecking the guy and killing him. That's, that's the other potential origin story. The two origin stories are incredibly similar. The one about the hunter happened earlier, and it provides a more human element to his actions. The first story about Douglas Griffin doesn't really go into who he was as a person, why he was put in the asylum in the first place, etc. But with the hunter, there's a little backstory that can explain what led to him going insane and being real pissed off. I feel like that one is a better story because of that, but without any information about Douglas Griffin, that first bit where you aren't quite sure what's going to happen does make it hold some mystery. Because you don't know what kind of crazy he is until they find Marcus's body. What I mean? There's a little bit more of an element of, ooh, what's happening as far as storytelling goes. <clears throat> I still like the Hunter one better, just from a purely writer standpoint. The legend holds that gruesome murders and otherwise spooky things happen around that bridge all the time. Supposedly, vicious murders of children and teenagers, I guess children, uh, teenagers are children too, just like a different kind of child, usually bigger. They're still kids. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, began and continued to happen after the bunny man got his taste for killing and posted up at the bridge. Halloween is said to be particularly dangerous there, and people still report seeing a freaky guy in a bunny suit hanging around the area. People who visit claim that they hear a wicked laughter at night, and still others say that they find mutilated rabbits there. While most people who genuinely go there only claim that it's a little creepy, and that they got a bit spooked, some people do claim to see and experience weird shit at the Bunny Man Bridge. Which, to me, um, calls the question of exactly what the Bunny Man is. Obviously, anyone who was an adult, especially in 1905, ain't alive anymore, wouldn't have been capable of murdering young people or even chasing cars with a hatchet for the last 50 or more years. Especially if they lived off of a diet of rabbit and fucking berries or whatever that whole time. So if we entertain the idea that either of the origin stories were indeed true, anything else, including the two sightings that I'm going to talk about in a bit, would have to have been perpetrated by someone else, not the OG bunny man. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the legend has occasionally inspired the random asshole to go out there in a bunny suit and act weird. Even some sick fuck could be inspired to go out there and straight murder someone in a bunny suit because of the story. 
like shit like that happens more than I'd like to think about, honestly. <clears throat> Fucking y'all remember those clowns in uh, 2016 around there? And there was a, someone stood around being creepy in a clown costume one time, not really doing nothing, but just kind of lingering at night in a clown costume. And when people heard about it, a bunch of unrelated people in different areas thought it would be funny to do the same thing, which led to essentially <laughs> a creepy clown invasion in the US. And everyone was in a fucking uproar. I would find it entirely unsurprising if people dressed up as a bunny and just went to the bridge to be creepy because they think it'll scare people, which to them would be very funny, I'm sure. Copycat shit. Yeah, because like uh, with copycat killers who they hear about a serial killer and they, they hear that the serial killer takes people out in a certain specific way, like they have a motif. And the copycats idolize the killer because they fucking need therapy or some shit. And then the copycat goes out and murders people, or at least someone, using the same motif as the original serial bastard. It, people with wonky brains, uh, wonky noggins, if you will, do shit like that all the time to varying degrees. So it's probably the same sort of psychological or social phenomena that could... Uh, leads to people mimicking the bunny man legend, you know? What got my attention the most about the bunny man, however, that it's not really a story about cryptid, and it's not necessarily a story, like, the legend itself doesn't necessarily imply that there's a real-life living man out there either. Not a cryptid, it's not a person, um... But it could be a ghost story, if considered in the correct uh, lens. So you know how in some versions of the origin stories, the bunny man is hit and killed by that train? And how now a lot of people report hearing that creepy laughter that he supposedly let out as he was hit by the train? Or even afterward? Ugh, belch. So, seeing a man in a bunny suit who does nothing but be creepy and disappear. Even the dead rabbits or other animals in the area. All those things could end on a ghost. Like the deranged spirit of the dead bunny man just like haunts the bridge and fucks with people. I could explain why the sightings and experiences there have continued consistently for like 120 years, supposedly. I am always skeptical to believe that anything is ever a ghost unless I see shit flying through the air for no reason. But I think the tale of Bunnyman Bridge is a ghost story. Whether the ghost is a ghost or a story, the story itself, I believe, is considered a ghost story, right? I like to th I'd like to think that it's a ghost, although the copycat idea is way more likely, it's way less fun. There is another explanation, but it'll make more sense at the end, so I'll circle back to that in a bit. Sightings. While countless people for decades claim to have seen either the bunny man or something else weird at the bridge, or in the general area there, there have only been two factually confirmed sightings. 
both occurring in 1970. The first was reported by an Air Force cadet named Robert Bennett, who was driving on Guinea Road in Burke with his fiancée. It was around midnight when they reportedly parked in a field on the road to visit with an uncle. I imagine... I imagine it was a rural house, you know, um, on a little road, and the uncle must not have had much open parking in the front, so they parked across the street next to a field. That's what it sounds like to me. I do think it's weird to visit your uncle at midnight. I don't know, I'm not judging, it's just uncommon for people I know to be down for a drop-in visit at midnight, and I also don't understand why they had to park across the street if he lived in like, on like a little farm, farmhouse. Like, there's no way they don't have parking if like, the road is a stretch of fields and he has a house, those always have parking, don't they? I don't know. Not judging. I have questions, though. But they're very unimportant questions, I suppose. So I know I should drop it. But I'm obsessive, and I don't like not understanding things. So I'm just gonna quietly seethe about this for the rest of my life. And carry on. Maybe I'll try <laughs> Maybe I can track the guy down and ask him what the fuck he was doing, visiting his uncle in a field at midnight on October 1970. He's still alive. If he's dead, I'll just have to do a sale. No biggie. I need serious answers to mundane questions. Anyway. <clears throat> why am I goopy now? I wasn't goopy a moment ago. Sheesh. <clears throat> anyway. They were sitting in the front seat with the motor running before they went to go knock on the door. Ah, uh, I don't know. She was stuffing her phone in her purse. They didn't have cell phones then. Um, she, <laughs> she was putting her unplugged rotary phone into her purse while they discussed whether or not it was rude to show up at someone's house in the middle of the night without even texting them first. As they were doing this, they noticed something moving around behind the car. They look through the back window to see what kind of bastard animal is wandering around right now, and then suddenly, the front passenger side window is smashed in, and they see someone standing there, dressed in all white. The figure starts screaming at them and losing his shit. He tells them that they're trespassing on private property, and that he has their tag number. They sped off, in terror as you may imagine, and they noticed a hatchet on the floor of the car as they drove away. So this crazy fucker bashed their window in with a hatchet and started screaming at them. So... <clears throat> okay, so Bennett filed a police report and when the pigs asked for a description of the man, he explained that he was wearing a white suit with long bunny ears. The fiancé, however, disagreed and said that he was wearing something more like a long cap. I'm seeing him described as possibly wearing a KK cunt hood, if you know what I mean, which in the dark, if it was dangling, it could look like a floppy bunny ear. Both possibilities are pretty fucking terrifying, but for totally different reasons, you know what I mean? You know what I mean, you know what I mean, you know what I mean? I'm repetitive sometimes. I have more questions. So, imagine the fiancé was sitting in the front passenger seat, right? That would be the normal place for her to be sitting in the car. Like, 
She wasn't gonna ride in the back like a kid, right? So, that guy bashing that specific window in hard enough to launch the hatchet into the car, like, smash, let go, it goes flying downward onto the floor in front of her, where her knees and feet are, while she's just sitting there, and the, the window's not more than that most, at most, a foot away from her head if she's sitting there and it's a normal, like, sedan, yeah? So, the bitch would be fucking injured, right? Like, rather injured. Her face would be all fucked up. And, like, okay. So, one time I was driving down the highway outside of Denver, and someone shot my passenger's side rear, rear view mirror out with a pellet gun or something. And I was going, like, 60 down the highway. So, it got shot, the glass flew in through the, my open window because it was a million degrees and I don't have AC. And the glass came in and it sliced the living shit out of my leg while I was in the driver's seat. And I have a big truck, so it was like, probably at least three or four feet away from me. And it just sliced the living shit out of me. I was bleeding everywhere. I had to pull off the highway. So there's no way that if he bashed the window in less than a foot away from her head with all that force and the force to let go of the hatchet right in at her, that she wouldn't have been pretty badly injured, right? I don't see any mention of her being hurt in the story. There was one that I found, and I'm not sure... I'll try to find the source. There was one... Stop, corn. There was one that, uh, source that I found where the aunt was saying she apparently helped get glass out of the girl's hair. But that's the only mention of it. And it wasn't very detailed. And if that was the case, then the what they said about how they drove away and saw the hatchet on the floor as they were driving away doesn't make sense because she would have gotten... Like, then they, they didn't get out and go into the aunt and uncle's house after it happened. So I imagine she didn't, like, sleep with the glass in her hair and come back in the morning. I just- I have a lot of questions. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm also interested in the suit. It kind of changes the whole thing depending on whether it was a KKK suit, a bunny suit, or just some other kind of long cap with a white suit. See, being out there raging like a chump at midnight in all white sounds fucking weird anyway. But it totally checks out if it was a KKK hunt, because they're not known for being reasonable and non-violent, you know. If it was a bunny suit, though, and if he if he patrols his property at midnight in a bunny suit, this guy's fucking mad lad, absolute mad lad. Every possibility I despise. So, and if it is a dude who like wanders around patrolling his field around midnight in a bunny suit, does he do that every night? Or did he see the headlights coming up and rush out of his house across the field just to do uh what is the world uh to just interact i can't think of the right word confront just to confront these particular people or was he standing there waiting what's he doing standing across the street in a field in a bunny suit right across the street from the aunt and uncle's house is he like watching in their windows i hmm I read a lot about this. I read multiple versions of people describing the what these guys said to the cops. 
And I still have so many questions. It was really reported on, though. The cops, it is in the records. It was published in the newspaper. I just find any answers to any of these questions I have. Okay. And then the second reputable sighting. It happened only 10 days later after the first one, uh, on October 29th, 1970. See, there's a relation to the Halloween thing. You know how the urban legend says Halloween? Well, this happened on October 29th, so, you know, we've got some connection there. Uh, A guy named Paul Phillips, who was working as a security guard on a construction site, claims that he saw a man standing on the porch of a house that was partially built in a place called Kings Park West on Guinea Road. Same road, too. As the security guard walks up, he sees the man is chopping violently at the porch post with an axe, screaming, You're trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head. Phillips filed a police report and described the axe-wielding weirdo as being about 20 years old, 5 foot 8 inches tall, and wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume. Apparently, Police opened investigations on the two incidents, but they eventually had to close them down because there was really no evidence other than the hatchet from Bennett's car. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned that. They brought the hatchet in to the police station, and the cops did keep it as evidence. For the next few weeks after the second sighting, over 50 different people ended up calling the cops, claiming to have run into the bunny man. There were several newspapers reporting on the bunny man at the time, one of which claims that the dude had eaten someone's cat. What the fuck? Fuck. (laughs) That that could be uh, part of where the the urban legend comes from, the part where other random dead animals around the bridge and eating the rabbits and stuff, eating small animals. There are tons of different retellings of these two run-ins, though. Some even say that during the interactions, the bunny man killed someone, but that was never actually reported or put in any of the police uh, reports that can be found now. I think it's more likely that there was a really weird guy and he really hated people existing around him, just based off of these two reputable reports. Here you can uh, see where my other explanation for the bunny man is, right? So it could just be that there was an old story that prompted some angry asshole who didn't want a new housing development or who was super protective over his property to wear a bunny suit to be more intimidating. Knowing that people in the area would be aware of the bunny man legend could have just been a way to look scarier while being mad about people being where he didn't want them to be. I cannot talk. Now, I gotta tell you some bad news. Uh, It doesn't ruin the whole thing, in my opinion. There was never a mental hospital in Fairfax, Virginia, at the time of the original story. Duh. There wasn't even another one close enough for them to be transported to. In the most popular version of the story, written by a guy named Timothy Forbes, and published on a website called Castle of Spirits in 1999, uh, it claims that the patients were actually being transported to a prison in a nearby town. 
This is the guy who first told the supposed names of the inmates, uh, uh, Griffin and Marcus, and he's the guy who gave us the date of 1904. Basically, it's the most detailed and widely shared version of it. But that prison hadn't been built yet in 1904, so he like did the thing where he added as much detail as possible to make his story seem very believable, but failed to check his facts. So pretty much everything in that story doesn't make sense, especially on a timeline. And also, even the names are unverifiable. I got a lot of my information from an article published by historian and archivist Brian A. Conley, and in his paper, he explains that it was embarrassingly easy to prove how much of Forbes' story is just bullshit. Conley put a whole lot of time and effort into trying to figure out as much as he could about the legend and any truths behind it. So he dug around, trying to find any and all newspaper articles from around the area between 1872 and 1973, trying to find a good example of what real-life event might have spurred this legend. Turns out that Fairfax County stayed a tiny little rural farming community until deep into the 1900s. Did actually find a whole lot of murders in the newspapers from that century he was looking at, though. Most were uh, boring old domestic murders, which sounds funny, but even those are horrible and worthy of note. Uh, although they wouldn't, like, cause enough of a sensation to create the bunny man story out of. You know what I mean? So they aren't super relevant to our current purposes. You know what I mean? So he had to look for stories about multiple killings, like a serial killer, or at least super nasty murders involving children and teenagers. Like something nasty enough to really stick into the minds of the locals forever afterward and keep them spooked. And especially since all of the, the stories, they really, really focus on the murder of children and teenagers. And the legend says that now teenagers are the ones who go out there and get moited uh, on Halloween night and such. So if we're trying to figure out a cause for the legend as it now is, there would have to have been a super grisly murder involving children. I would add more to it and suggest that it involve it would have to involve the forest, maybe a train, or maybe uh, an asylum. You know, those are like the three, one, two, three or four. <laughs> I forgot how to count. I haven't been in school for a while, okay? Uh, three or four major points of the bunny man story, aside from the rabbits. Okay, so rabbits would also be. But, for the purposes, Conley was just looking for grisly enough murders involving kids. From that, figured, like, we can look into more detail to try to make sense of the origin, origin of the bunny man in real life. So, in all of his digging, he found three possible sources during this 100-year period could have caused this eternal fear. I'm only going to cover the first two that he lists in his article. It'll get the point across. And I'm going to uh, start it off uh, before I actually get into it. 
give you a trigger warning because as you may have noticed, I will be describing the gruesome murders uh, and gruesome murders involving children. And I think that I do a really good job of not using super graphic words. And uh, like I'll do my best not to make it as nasty as it could be. I think that I can use a casual um, tone, casual-ish wording to make it not fucking horrible to listen to, you know. Not that reading it was very good for me. Try to spare you a little bit of the ick that I experienced while reading about it. <laughs> Just it's for you guys. It's for you. Because I care. Oh my god, it's impossible for me to ever get comfortable in a chair. I have a robe under my butt like a pillar. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. On to the possible uh, real life origins for at least the scare that became the Bunny Man legend. The first was a gruesome murder of a 37-year-old woman named Frances Hollober. Hollober? Hollober? I ain't looking it up. Hollober, Hollober, and her eight-month-old daughter June in February of 1949. The two of them had gone to Fairfax County to visit with Francis's husband, which who she had been, <laughs> with whom which she had been separated, with whom she had. They were separated. All right, they weren't divorced, but they weren't together. Know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> As Francis and the baby were leaving. The parents got into an argument about mud or something, after which she took the baby and left. This is according to the husband, Charles. He claims that after they left, he spent the night in the car as it was stuck in the mud, which, <laughs> which might have been what caused the argument, I suppose. And then he got a ride back home in the morning. When he went back to get his wife's car and see what the fuck was going on, he saw no trace of her or the child and called the police. Search was organized, and about 5 p.m., detectives noticed that the ground they were standing on was weirdly soft. The searchers decided to dig up that soft dirt, and they found the bodies of the mother and daughter. It was less than, I think, yards away from where the car was parked. Francis had been beaten and shot twice, once in the chest and another time in the noggin. The little gal was not harmed prior to the burial. You know what I mean. Again, son of a bitch. Eight stories about kids getting hurt. I don't know why I do this to myself. I'm bullshit. I'm an asshole. <clears throat> anyway, obviously the community was shocked and mortified to hear what had happened. Charles Holober confessed that he had planned the murder for three weeks. He wasn't going to report her disappearance, but since the car was stuck in the mud there, he had to think of something to explain why she was nowhere to be seen tried to get it unstuck. Fucking asshole. He was sentenced to death by electric chair. I say, serve him right. <coughs> Coughing. I normally don't believe in the death penalty too much, but like, if you have a kid, uh, like, if you hurt a kid, fuck your life. Bing bong. 
apply to that, but seriously. My main complaint about the death penalty is just false conviction, you know? Like, even when people confess, sometimes it's under duress or coercion. But like, I like a case-by-case -case approach if possible. In this case, sadly the conviction was overturned at a new trial and he was judged to be mentally incompetent and he went to a mental hospital instead. Far too lenient on that motherfucker. I... Without going into the details of this case or anything and actually knowing all that much, I feel like it is very much not a sign of incompetence. You have planned it out for three weeks, buried them, come up with a story to change and fit his current circumstances, which were not what he had planned for them to be. That's like, that's strategic, that's planned, that is not what I usually see competence, uh, competence rulings in cases like this, but I don't know, I'm not a lawyer yet. Fair. Anyway, the second one is another gruesome murder in the area that might have caused enough of an uproar to birth an urban legend was the case of Minnie Loretta and Catherine Ridgeway in March of 1927. On the morning of March 4th, a man came up to the home of Minnie Ridgeway, where she lived with her husband and their two daughters. The man claimed that he was there to visit her husband, and she informed him that he wasn't there at the time. The man barged in and gave her a knock-in. They bonked her viciously. Yeah, to put it, yeah. Bonked her viciously. <laughs> and then did the same to her daughters, who were seven and five years old. He stole all of their money and took off. A neighbor heard moaning coming from the house, so he went to investigate. That's where he found the three of them badly beaten. They were rushed to a nearby hospital where the staff tried to save their lives. Sadly, only Minnie made it through, and she was able to ID the son of a bitch of an asshole. As an asshole, son of a bitch of an asshole, <laughs> sounds good enough. Uh, the asshole's name was Louis Borsig. Borsig? Yeah, B-O-E-R-S-I-G. He was executed for the murders of Loretta and Catherine on July 7th, 1927. They did an okay job not making that too upsetting, yeah? He got the point without getting uh, nasty visuals, I hope. There's a... Yeah. See, I knew what I was getting into when I decided to cover stories that involved the murder of children. Like, that's specifically what I was going for. But it was necessary to consider if I wanted to try to figure out where a story like the Bunny Man came from. Because a major aspect of all the stories is that he kills kids, so there should be something to that, you know? I'm really glad that Conley put in so much legwork on this before me so I didn't have to try to dig all that shit up. And I was able to just read brief summaries of the cases, because nothing pisses me off more. Kids and animals, you don't fuck with them. Ugh. Unless they, sometimes animals are assholes, <laughs> to be fair, but generally no. But reading all of that wasn't even super helpful anyway, because as you can see, other than there being grisly murders involving children, both of which sent the community into an uproar, yes. There really isn't anything in there that could evolve into the story of the bunny man. It looks like Conley agrees. There are no bunnies, 
There are no bunnies in either of the stories, and nor in the third one that he found. No relation to a bridge, especially not that particular bridge. No trains. I guess the first one does include a mental institution, and it does include the woods. The husband was eventually sent to a mental institute after burying them in the woods. But that's really where the lines of similarity end, you know? Which kind of puts us back at square one as far as tracking down a true origin of the tale. Right? So, like, it was all a waste of time. I, I upset myself for no reason, and that's what I get for reading my sources linearly. <laughs> anyway, the conclusion, it seems to me, that what really started the urban legend of the bunny man was those two run-ins in the 70s. I don't believe that the urban legend existed before that. There was, it was just like a super vague ghost tale, right? I find no evidence of anyone talking about it before then. So I think word got out, which it did because it was published on the local news and in the newspapers. It looks like it was a little bit sensationalized most of the time, too. You need to sell them sell them stacks of papers. Remember when people would buy a newspaper? Wow. <laughs> but it was put into the public eye right away. I believe that the way that people immediately reported on it and sensationalized it, I believe that that's why over 50 people in the following weeks claimed to have seen it. I think they just wanted to be part of the hype. I think there were, or like maybe they saw someone in white and their head was so focused on the crazy scary bunny man that they just like saw something out of the corner of their eye and they're like, oh my god, I saw the bunny man, call the cops. You know? It's possible. People fucking do that. People are fucking silly. We're all silly little guys like that. <laughs> like, the strangeness of a super aggro guy in a fucking bunny suit would certainly get people's attention and have them wondering what was going on, what his motives were. He was a crazy murderer. Like, you'd have to be crazy to wield an axe in a bunny suit, right? That's not like normal person behavior for the most part. I mean, I've seen it, but we were drunk, okay? <laughs> and a point is made very clearly here through every aspect of, of this episode, I believe. I don't know if you've noticed it. Uh, the point is made very clearly that no matter what way you cut it, People are terrified of people that they deem insane. People perceive them as erratic and unpredictable even on a good day, let alone when that person is known for carrying an axe and screaming at people. <laughs> so honestly, I figure the bunny man was a grumpy bastard landowner, and maybe his son or something? The guy on the porch was indeed around 20 years old, and he wanted people to get the fuck off his lawn. <laughs> But the way it was reported on freaked everyone out, and rumors flew around, and then some kids with active imaginations made up a spooky backstory for it. And seem even spookier. There we go. Funny man. <laughs> I wish I didn't always burst my own bubble on these things. Well, we can't prove that the Hunter origin story didn't happen. The first one with the busload of escaped patients was obviously made up. But we can't prove shit about the Hunter version. Except that there was no asylum for him to be off to for the murder of his family. 
unfortunately, I actually only saw that version of the story in one place. <laughs> so, who knows? Uh, the story itself, just um, if you look at it without any of the context or anything and it's just the story, it's a good fucking ghost story. So, there you have it. A ghost story and probably nothing else. Um, later nerds. I said later and it's not really later it's a f like probably 37 seconds later I always forget to do an outro I forgot to say thank you to my patrons if you would like to join and become a patron of mine to help me um make uh have money <laughs> you can go check that out at patreon.com slash backalleyalchemist if you're an audio-only listener, but you would rather see my face, you can find me on YouTube. I will post links, but it's also just Back Alley Alchemist. If you would like to talk to me, my email is always open for questions, comments, or concerns. And if you want to suggest a topic, and that is backalleyalchemist.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, oh gosh, oh gosh. Oh yes, and, and to the couple of people who support me directly through... It was Anchor. I believe Anchor was the platform that I was using to do the audio version of my podcast. I believe it was bought out by Spotify. But the people who now support me directly on Spotify, thank you as well. Um, Yeah. Whatever. Whatever.